Good morning. My name is Yumiko Nakagawa, one of the pastors here at Wellspring. And usually this is the time one of the preaching team members bring God's message to the congregation. Preaching team consists of four pastors and people like Jensen, who just lift up wonderfully powerful prayer. There's also Larry, who's in the house somewhere. I thought I saw him. Uh, also on uh, David, who brought the message last week, all seminary trained and people who brings God's message to you. So we have kind of various people doing that. But today, what I bring to you is not a sermon, it's a devotional, uh, something in theory shorter. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but really in a nature, it's more a uh, little bit more reflective. So that's how we're going to start this year in our worship. And with this devotional, we will close the current sermon series. Uh, we have been asking the same question throughout the Advent and actually last week as well and then this week. The question we've been asking is how, the, how does the weary world rejoice? How does the weary world rejoice? And during the season of Advent, we asked that question over and over. And today we find an answer in Luke 3 verse 1 through 22. I know you open up the bolt and it's like, hey, this, it's blank. Is it just me? No, it's everyone. <laughs> so don't worry. <laughs> uh, so the, the scripture today is Luke chapter 3, 1 through 22. Um, you may not have it on the bulletin today. Sorry, we usually do print, but uh, we don't have that. So you can feel free to pull out your phone, pull out your Bible, open up the gospel. Luke chapter 3, 1 through 22. In there, we find an answer to the question, how does the weary world rejoice? And today we find an answer, how, we, how does the weary world rejoice? By knowing and by being confident in our belovedness, by knowing that we are beloved. In today's passage, we see John the Baptist baptizing, as his name says, he's went around, all around Israel and are baptizing people. And in those passages, we see two different types of baptism in there. The baptism of the weary and the baptism of Jesus. See two different, the baptism of the weary, baptism of Jesus. In the first 20 verses, we see the baptism of the weary. We see John baptizing the people of Israel. But these are not just a random people. These are the kind of people who are sick and tired of how things are going in their life, in their world, in their society. They're just sick and tired, right? They're not happy with how the local government, what local government does what local government doesn't do. They're sick and tired of heavy taxes. They're sick and tired of being treated as second-class citizen in occupied Ro Roman-occupied territory. They're sick and tired how people seem to be just squeezed in every corner when the rich and the powerful gets richer and richer and more powerful, how the ordinary citizens of Israel are just squeezed in every single possible way. They're sick and tired. This Messiah who were promised long, long time ago doesn't come. They are the weary people of Israel. And these are the people who responded uh, to the call by John. 
these people who are just weary people yearning for change, awaiting the Messiah's arrival. Messiah, this is a time for you to come, right? Just as God rescued the, their ancestors from the hands of Egyptian, through the peril of the Red Sea, through the desert, to the promised land. These are the people who are waiting for Messiah to come and rescue them from this weary world to the promised land. And so that's why they responded when John went around saying, Messiah is going to come, you got to prepare. They responded and saying, yes, we want to be ready for Messiah. So they acknowledged they themselves might have went away from God's way and they repent. They want a fresh start. They want a renewal. They want a transformation so they can be ready for the long waiting Messiah to come. To prepare and mark their new beginning, John baptized these people in the Jordan River. But that's not all, right? That's not where John ended. John then went on telling them how important it is to make a tangible changes in their lives. Yes, you want to change. You're ready to commit. You wanted to get baptized. That's great, but that's not enough. You got to make a tangible real changes. And John gives a very clear example. For example, give one piece of clothing if you have two. Share your food if you have plenty on your table. Don't be greedy. Don't be, don't abuse your power and status even when it's permissible in the society they live in, in the, for the occupation they practice. It might be permissible for them to be just a little bit greedy, to use their power and status just a little bit for their own gain. But John says no. Don't do that. Make a change in your lives not to do that. So in Luke 3, the baptism of the weary serves as a powerful symbol of new beginning. And the baptism, if you've been around a church, you might be baptized. You might have an idea of what baptism is. Um, and there are actually so many ways that baptism is practiced and understood across many different denominations. But one thing, if we were to find any common thread, one tiny common thread, I think is uh, one possible common thread, I should say, is that baptism is in general understood as a mark, something to mark a fresh start and a renewed commitment to one's spiritual journey. See, baptism marks the new beginning and a renewed commitment to one's spiritual journey. And this new beginning includes, it's not just a momentary decision and action, but it also includes a transition from the old way to the new way, the God's kingdom way. It includes making changes in one's lives to follow Jesus' way. So as we begin our new year, uh, while we're not uh, doing any baptism today, as far as I know, uh, in case you want to, we're happy to, but 
that's not in our plan today, but uh, we're still in the beginning of the year. So I thought maybe we can use this moment to reflect on this point, the, how the baptism marks the new beginning, also includes the change and transition. So I want to invite you, uh, if you're uh, joining us online, you can grab a piece of paper uh, at your home. If you're here and I have Bolton with you, you can open up the wonderfully blank sheet of paper in front of you. And you can uh, use the right half of the white sheet to do this reflection. I'm going to read uh, some questions. And if Karen, would you mind? Yeah, okay. She's going to put on a screen so you can have that on. We can take about five minutes so you can just... It's pretty easy. Um, so first question is perhaps think about which parts of your life do you want to change or improve? Which parts of your life do you want to change or improve? You can write as many as you can fit in the right half of the white paper, or you can write zero. That's totally acceptable. Uh, second question is what specific changes come to mind if... And that is, if you want to live more like Jesus, if your desire is to build the kingdom of God, if your life to be about the building kingdom of God, or if that's not your thing, if, you know, building the kingdom of God, if like following Jesus is not really your thing, that's, I think it's still fine to maybe think of question, what is the specific change come to your mind if you want to simply lead a more fulfilling and a meaning, meaningful life. So let's take five minutes and uh, hope you get to reflect a little bit. I'll be back here in five minutes.
think it's about five minutes. I'm actually very bad at bad with numbers in general, so I actually forgot what time it was, and I forgot the math I did. So I was like, I think it's about five minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have asked somebody to help me with that. Well, you can continue working on that um, now or at home, but we're going to move on to look at the second baptism in the passage today, which is the baptism of Jesus, which only is written over two verses on verse 21 and 22. The baptism of Jesus also marked the new beginning for Jesus' ministry and his life and all that. But also did something else other than marking something new and bringing changes to their life. The baptism of Jesus revealed who Jesus is. The baptism of Jesus revealed his identity. You see, around the time when Jesus was getting baptized or when John the Baptist is going around baptizing people, the most powerful person. In Israel was Herod. This is, this is just a piece that I'll show you, but it's Herod, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, not Antipas. Herod Antipas. It's just a hard name to say. <laughs> I want to add a T at the end.、Um, he was sometimes addressed as King Herod, but he actually wasn't really a king. Uh, that time, Israel, as I mentioned earlier, and as most of you know, was occupied by the Roman Empire. And they had a very interesting governing system that they don't just go around and sending Romans to rule each area. Some areas, they just let the locals run the thing. So the empire assigned Herod to be in charge of the area. So he was really the king of Israel, but he so wanted to be one. So he did a bunch of things. And one of the things that he did to make himself look like a real king or make himself like a king is to build the temple, rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem up, and he was trying to build himself up. Yeah. He's trying to build himself up、uh, by building the temple up on Jerusalem. And I said, up on Jerusalem, and this is King Herod. I, I say, up on, oh, sorry, it was in the wrong way. Up on Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is as, as at the high elevation, it's about 2,500 feet, 2,500 feet above the sea level, right? Again, number is not my thing. So when people mention 2,500 feet, especially the different metric system, it means nothing to me. So I was looking it up. What does that mean? I remember Jerusalem being high, but I don't know what that means. So I look it up and the, the high point I know on this island is Pali Lookout because I went there and I looked down and I was like, oh, it's so high. Do you know how high that is? It's not. I thought it would be neat, but it's actually lower than that. It's 12, let me say 1,200 feet. Oh, you know, you must be very good. Good guess. You must be good with number. <laughs> It is actually 1,200 feet above the sea level. So, Jerusalem is where twice as high as Pali Lookout, if that makes sense to you. It helped me to understand. So, it's, if this is sea level, Jerusalem is high on the top of the hill. And this is where King Herod, not King Herod, so Herod is trying to build the temple, right? He's trying to build himself up. He's trying to put himself higher than anybody else. Meanwhile, Jesus, 
right? Let's say this is Jesus. Where was Jesus? Jesus was at the Jordan, down at the Jordan, being baptized. I don't know if you can see that. It's at the bottom. It's lower than sea level because the Jordan River is actually one of the lowest points on the earth, which I didn't know. I was like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And the number is 1,200 feet below the sea level. So it's pretty low. This, I thought it was very interesting. Here is Herod, not King, Herod Antipas, trying to build himself up, trying to himself look better than anybody else, building a temple, getting himself closer to God and saying he wants to be a king. But here is Jesus at the lowest, almost the lowest point on earth and descending further into water as he was baptized by John. And when he was descending deeper into water, being baptized, that's when the heaven opens up, the Holy Spirit descends, and a voice came, a voice of from heaven sounds. At that moment, we see clearly who is the true king. Who is the true king of Israel? It is not this man trying to build himself up, putting himself high up on a mountain. It is Jesus, fully human, fully God, lowering himself so humble. He is the true king of Israel, the king of kings, king of all. We see his, his undeniable identity was revealed at his baptism. Not only he's a true king, Jesus is the son of God who is in a communion with God the Father and Holy Spirit, even when physically he was so far away from heaven above, he still is in a closest place and closest proximity with the rest of the Trinity. That's who he is. In more, the climactic moment of Jesus' baptism is the voice from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. The beloved, the beloved, that's who Jesus is. That's Jesus' core identity. He is the beloved of God. If the baptism of the weary teaches us the importance of a tangible change in our lives, I think the baptism of Jesus teaches us who Jesus is and how his identity was affirmed and revealed at the baptism. So similarly for us, right? Our new beginning means perhaps some of us want to make some changes in our lives. And for those of us who wants to make changes in our life, 
The reminder is that the new beginning also starts with affirmation of our identity in God. And hopefully this spatial picture, as not as aesthetically pleasing as it is, hopefully this gives us a kind of visual reminder, right? Visual reminder that even when we are at the life's lowest point, even when we feel like we're at the low place in a society, marginalized and forgotten, even when we might feel we're so far away from God, even then, we're closest to the heights of heaven, and we are actually much, much, much closer to God than we think. We are wrapped in God's love and grace, fully affirmed as God's child, as the beloved. Imagine God is saying to this to you. This is all different translation of the same verses, Luke 3.22. Imagine God is saying to you, you are my child. I am delighted with you. Imagine God is saying, you are my child. I'm marked by my love. You're pride of my life. You're my child whom I love. With you, I am well, well pleased. You are my dearly loved child. And you, just being you, bring me so much joy. Imagine God is saying that to you. How does these words of God make you feel? Take a moment to listen, reflect, and jot down your thoughts on the left, yeah, left side of the paper. Or you can write down um, maybe the words that resonated with you from the, all the translation that I just read, or the scripture that comes to your mind. Let's take about three minutes to do that.
If you're working on lists, please do continue to do that. But hopefully you have some sort of lists in front of you, two lists. One is maybe the things you want to change this year. And maybe the other one is your response to God's affirmation of who you are. And may those two lists help you to kind of set off the new year very well and guide you this year. But along with this list, I'd like to send you with an encouragement to pray. Encouragement for prayer. Because Jesus prayed, right? Right before heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended and a voice from heaven sound. What was Jesus doing? He was getting baptized and he was also praying. He was listening to God. He was ready to hear God's voice. So if you like, I think for this year, to be led and guided by God, we want to be ready to hear God's voice. So the encouragement for us as we begin our new year and new things, encouragement is to listen. And let us listen to God first. Before we listen to anyone else, anything else, let us show up before God, ready to hear God's voice and waiting God to speak. And you can do that through prayer, through reflection, through opening the scripture, in nature, in your room, in your car. Let's begin our year with just heart to hear God's voice. Let me read the Luke 3.22 again uh, with all five different um, translations as we close this time. Here's the word for each and every one of us. You are my child, my dear child, and I am delighted with you. You're my child, chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. You are my child, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You are my dearly loved child, and you bring me great joy. 